We all have a dream of what we want to be like when we grow up. Sometimes we reach those dreams and other times we don't. Today, Pastor Bernie looks at a few different examples of how people have dealt with unmet dreams. No matter how much you think you have messed it up, Jesus can redeem you. We pray you are blessed as you join us in the message entitled, Real People. While they're heading out, take your Bibles and turn out to the book of Luke. Gospel according to Luke this morning. Now, as you know, I don't traditionally preach traditional sermons. I know it's approaching Christmas, but God just didn't give me a Christmas message this morning. <laughs> and uh, how dare He? I mean, I've got to preach what God told me to preach and not preach on Christmas. And it's Christmas? Well, He's in charge. At least I hope He is most of the time. And we try to give Him charge all the time. This morning, I want to, t- I want to just tell you a story. This actress is a story about four people. And people's just very much like ourselves. You know, they, they're born into innocence. They start out their life with dreams. They've got things that they want to see come to pass in their life. They things they want to see come pass to pass in the life of of having a family and whatever their dreams are. We all are born in innocence and we all have dreams as a child. At least I did, man. I had all kind of dreams of what I would be when I grew up. And you can ask any child, what are you going to be when you grow up? And they'll tell you something, you know, a fireman. I asked a kid the other day, I said, I said what are you going to do when you grow up? He said, I'm going, to, I'm going to make video games. I'm like, are you good at video games? He's like, yeah, I can beat all of them. I'm like, that's good. I said, Where, where's this company that hires video game makers, you know? I don't know. I'll have to figure that out, you know. I said, no, son, what you need to do is go in the military. He said, oh, I'm going to do that, too. I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. (laughs) But at least he had a dream, amen? We all have dreams. But sometimes, through a series of events and just bad choices that we make, our dreams sometimes fade. Sometimes it's not bad choices, it's just mistakes that we make. Because none of us start out and we say, brother, I'm going to really make something out of my life. I'm going to do something with my life. When I grow up, I'm going to be a no-good, self-serving party animal. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a deadbeat, don't-get-a-job-mama's boy. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a drug addict. i got ambition in life. I'm going to be a drunk. I don't think any kid you ask him, what are you going to be when you grow up? He says, when I grow up, I'm going to be a lying, cheating thief. Any little girl you ask, what are you going to be when you grow up? I think I'm going to grow up and be a tramp. Yeah, I'm going to see if I can just ruin the lives of as many men as I can. You ask the little boy, what are you going to be when you grow up? I think I'm going to be a whoremonger. I'm going to just ruin the lives of as many women as I can. I'm just going to use them and throw them to the side. If we have children, I'm going to be a deadbeat dad. Little girl, if I have children, I'm going to be a self-serving, life is all about me, mother. We all have dreams, but that's not the kind of dreams that we have. So people don't start out that way, but some people wind up that way. And how do they get there? And I was thinking about that this week, and I really don't even know what got me started on the thing. But I was thinking about it, and I said, you know, it's a learned process. Most of the time, 
Sometimes people turn out that way because they see other people. And that's kind of the pattern that they have to follow. There's some kids, God bless their heart, they don't have much of a chance. You know, the only example they've ever had is things like that. And so they wind up that way themselves. And sometimes people wind up that way out of sheer survival. Because they don't know how to do anything else, so they just have to look out for number one because that's just how they, they grow up. Well, I'm going to tell you a story about a few people this morning. There are people just like that. They started out just like us. But somewhere down the road, they begin to slip off into this person they never thought they would be. You say, well, how do you get there? Well, it's a progressive thing. You know, we, we all say, well, it's all right, even as Christians, you know, because we want to get this list. Is it okay to do this or is it not okay to do this? And so we, we determine... Well, it's okay to do this, but it's not okay to do that. So I'll do this, but I'll never do that. And the next thing you know, we wind up doing that. And then we realize, well, that wasn't so bad. A lot of people's doing it. I've got plenty of company. You know, so it's okay. I'll do this, but I'll never, ever do that other thing. Next thing you know, we're doing the other thing, too. And it's like, well, you know, that wasn't so bad either. So I'll do that and this and the other thing, but I will never, ever, ever do that thing over there. And then somebody comes along and says, oh, come on, try it. No, no, I'll never do that. Now, I'm doing this and this, but I, that, no, that's across the line. No, nah, come on, man, it's not that bad. I do it, look at me, it hasn't hurt me. I've got a lot of friends that's doing it. Why don't you just, just try it one time? So the next thing you know, you're doing even that. And you realize it's not so bad. And what we wind up doing many times is we just keep moving the line. I'll never cross that line. And then we cross it and we just move it a little bit further. And the next thing you know, we're doing it all. And no matter how deep we go into this pit, we always can find someone else to compare ourselves to. And say, well, yeah, I do this and I do that and I do that. But at least I'm not like so-and-so. And then when we put it in a spiritual context, we slip off into that. And we say, well, yeah, maybe I do so-and-so, and I do this and that, but I'm not a hypocrite about it. Like those people down at the church. They pretend to be one thing, and they do something else. At least I'm real. At least I'm real. You ever heard anybody say that? At least I'm not a hypocrite about it. At least I'm real. And suddenly, in their mind, because some good-intended Christian is struggling with some area of their life, and maybe they did do something they shouldn't have done, in their mind, they're better than they are because at least they don't pretend to be good. They admit, yeah, I do this, 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 and this, but at least I'm real. And I'm like, yeah, you're real. You're a real drug addict. You're a real alcoholic. You're a real liar, a cheat, a whoremonger, a whore. You're real. You're real lonely. You're real sad. You're real broken. You're real wounded. You're real hurt. You're a real mess. And there's a whole lot of people in that context. But at least they're not a hypocrite. They're real people. So I'm going to tell you about a real person this morning. It's a lady by the name of Iris Blue. 
I don't know if you've been, any of you have ever heard the testimony of Iris Blue. Iris Blue grew up in a church, actually the same denomination that I grew up in. She went to church every Sunday with her mom and dad. Went to vacation Bible school. She could quote John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. She knew all the songs, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong, because we are weak, but He is strong. She knew all of those things. Vacation Bible school came one day, and they brought a preacher in. They turned the heat up real high, and he preached on hellfire and damnation. And ask Iris and all her little friends, now who in here wants to go to hell? And she said, I wanted to look up, but they told us don't look up. And I was afraid God would get mad at me, so I didn't look to see who was dumb enough to raise their hand and say, oh, I do. I want to go to hell. <laughs> but she said, I didn't look up. So, but all I knew is he said, well, if you don't want to go to hell, then you need to get up here and get before this altar. And we're going to pray with you. Well, all of her little friends ran up there, and she's like, well, I don't want to go to hell, too. So she, she ran up there, and she knelt down, said this little prayer, got back up and went back to her seat. Her mama was praising God because they were all crying. She was crying, too, because she scared the bejeebies out of her. But nothing changed in her heart. She got up the same, went to the altar the same, and went back to her seat the same. Now, Iris said that she knew there was a God because he made little boys. And she loved them from the time she was in the cradle. She said, I always loved boys. And I always wanted to be treated special. I wanted to be one of those little girls back in this time that the boys would come up and carry my books for me, walk me to my locker, open the door for me, tell me that I'm pretty, Send me the little note that says, I like you. Do you like me? She said, but no little boy ever treated me that way. Because Iris Blue, when she was 12 years old, was six foot three inches tall. She wasn't ugly, but she wasn't really pretty by what we consider the standards of pretty. And so one day at school, she's 12 years old. This little boy came up to her and says, Iris, can I ask you something? And said her heart was about to flutter out of her chest. Because she thought, he's going to ask me to go steady. He's going to ask me to go to a party. And she's like, yes. He said, will you give me a piggyback ride? And she said she ran all the way home from school. And she went in and she was completely crushed and broken. And she was weeping and saying, what is wrong with me? Isn't there an operation or something I can do that will make me like everybody else, that will make me normal? Why can't I be one of the little girls that's pretty, that all the boys like? And her mother tried to comfort her by saying, Iris, it's all right, honey. God made you that way. And she said when she heard that, she decided... Well, then I don't like God. And something happened in her heart. At age 13, she decided, if I can't find happiness one way, I'll find it another. And she ran away from home. Her mother tried to find her. She couldn't find her because she's six foot three. Now, she's not a typical 13-year-old looking girl. And a man started showing her attention. 
The next thing you know, she's on drugs. She's in a bar. It's dark. She said the doors came open. You could see the bright sunlight. And she saw her mother standing in the door. And she fell down behind the bar. The mother couldn't see because it was dark in the bar. And she came up and she's weeping, saying, I'm looking for my daughter and described her and said, if you, have you seen her? And the bartender is leaning over top of Iris, leaning on the bar, says, no, I haven't seen her. She said, well, here's her num- my number. If you see her, please call me. And left the number, walked out, and Iris and the bartender had a good laugh about mom looking for her. And so from age 13 to age 17, she gave herself to drugs, alcohol, and men because she was wanting somebody just to treat her like a lady, somebody to care. And I I can't tell you how many stories that I've heard, and you probably have too, of people who have sold themselves to that kind of lifestyle looking for happiness. But Satan, he, he always double-crosses you. When you try that kind of approach to find happiness. And so at age 17, she was convicted for armed robbery. She came before the judge, and she thought, well, I'm a youth. I'm, I'm, I'm under 18. They will try me as a juvenile. I'll, I'll probably get a life sentence, and they'll send me out, out the door. She said, when that hammer fell, and he said, I'm sentencing you to eight years in prison. Because they tried her like an adult, and they hauled her away to prison. And when she went in there, she was an able uh, combatant for anybody in that prison, because she was a big girl. When they would, when she would get rowdy, and she got rowdy a lot, they wouldn't send the women guards to get her, because all of them were afraid of her. They would send the men, gu- men guards, and she would fight them. Out of the, she wound up pulling seven of the eight years in prison. And out of those seven years, four years of that was spent in solitary confinement because of her fighting and just just rebellious. All because she hated God because he made her that way. But she said, I would always, as they were dragging me down to solitary, I would be fighting and acting like I hated it. She said, but it was the only place where I could escape reality. Because in there, by myself... I would just switch my mind into a world where I was tiny, I was beautiful, I was cherished, I was treated nice. And she said, I lived in a little imaginary world in that place. So a lot of times I would fight just so I could go down there. She said, I I, I would walk down the hall if I was in, in general population and somebody say, good morning. And she said, I'd haul off and just try my best to knock them out. Because it wasn't a good morning. They just lied to me. And they would haul me back to solitary. And so when she got out, her dad picked her up at the prison. Her mom and dad had hid where she had been for seven years. They told people she was away at school. She was sick. Made excuses. Nobody knew that she was in trouble. She said, they brought me home. Made all the other kids come over and act like they liked me. And so we sat down and ate. I went into my bedroom. I had seven years worth of Christmas presents piled on my bed. I knew my mom loved me. I knew my dad loved me. But nobody else loved me. And so she said, my sister came over and she said, come on, let's go for a ride. And we went out. My sister had some drugs. As I got high and within hours, I was right back into my old lifestyle again. She said after that, her mother finally just gave up. 
And her mom went to her church, and for the first time, she came clean. She said, I've been lying about my daughter. She's not, she has not gone away to school. She's not been sick. She's been in prison, and I don't know what to do. Will you pray with me for my daughter? And so her mom came to her and says, Iris, I know that I'm not going to see you in heaven. And I'm telling you right now that I'm turning you over to Jesus Christ. Because I don't even want to go to heaven if you can't go with me. I don't want to go without my family. And that bothered her a little bit, but she'd grown so hard that it really didn't affect her to the point that her mom thought that it would. So she went on back out to her lifestyle. But as a result of that prayer, two weeks later, a young man in that church said that he wanted to do something to win the loss. He talked about it, but he never did anything about it. And he said he's going to start by making Iris his project. And so he would go by and see her. And he's like, Iris, Jesus loves you. She's like, I've heard that before. He's like, but he gave his life for you. And said she would just insult him. She would expose herself to him to try to lure him. Because she's working at a bar. She's a stripper now. Her and her friends. And, and, and she would just try to just spiritually puke on him every time he would come around. And said he would call her up said, Iris, I just want you to know I'm, I'm still praying for you. He called her up one time and said, you hear about that woman? Said she's been married five times and now she's shacking up with a guy. He said, what woman? Said the woman that Jesus talked to at the well, Iris. And he forgave her. And said this went on for about two weeks. And then finally he went to the bar where she was working and went inside the bar. She said, he never looked at anything but my eyes. And he said, I need to ask you something, Iris. Will you come out to the car? She thought, oh, here it is. He's finally going to give in. He can't stand it anymore. So she goes out there to the car with him, sits down. He starts crying. He said, Iris, I know that you think because I don't respond to your appeals. I know what you and your friends are trying to do. You think that I'm not a man. I am a man. But I'm telling you, Iris, I would not trade your eternity for a few moments of pleasure. Your eternity is more important than a few moments of pleasure. But I came today to tell you that I can't see you anymore. Because I've made a commitment to God that I will not associate with tramps. She said, when he said that to me, I wanted to cut his throat. Because all this, these two weeks he's been treating me special. He's been treating me like I was somebody. And in just a moment, I am now garbage. And what good is garbage to be set by the street for somebody to pick it up? Then he said, but Iris, you don't understand. Jesus doesn't want you to be a tramp. He wants you to be a lady. And she said, an explosion went off inside of me. And I said to him, if he can make me a lady, then I will give my life to him. He said, well, Iris, it's like a wedding. You make a commitment, I give myself to you. And Jesus is making a commitment that he will give himself to you in return. Are you willing to do that? She said, yes, I am. And she said, I knelt down outside of that bar, a tramp. But I stood up, lady. And just like that, God changed her life. She started going to church and she meant it. She started serving the Lord, all of those things.
that she had learned from her childhood was still inside of her. God promised, my word will not return void. It will accomplish that which I please. It will prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. That word was in her and it finally took root and grew and it began to prosper. Now I want to tell you about another lady. Luke chapter 7. This lady's name is Mary. Verse 36, it says, Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down. I'm reading from the New King James Version. I don't know if that's what you have up there. You probably got the KJV. It's just close. Verse 37, And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask, flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping, And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now, when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Verse 40, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. Verse 41, There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who he forgave more. And he said unto him, You have rightly judged then he turned to the woman and said, uh, and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil. But this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say unto you, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Now there's three characters here. You got Jesus sitting in the room. You got the Pharisee. And John chapter 11 tells us that this woman actually was Mary, the mother, the the sister of Martha. And the sister of Lazarus. How did she get to a place where she was a prostitute? Because the word sinner there, we believe she was a prostitute. That progressive act of just moving the line a little bit further and a little bit further and a little bit further. She found herself in a community where everybody knew what she was. And she comes to this house and she has heard about this man who is able to make her clean, to set her free. And there's some symbols here that we need to see to really understand what's taking place here. Because a lot of people will look at this example and say, well, if I really want to love Jesus a whole whole lot, then I need to go out and be a wretched, rotten, good-for-nothing, low-down, good-for-nothing sinner. So when He cleanses me, I will love Him much because He's cleansed me of much. But that is not what this Scripture is saying. Because when she came in, she knew Jesus was in the house. She heard that He was there. She came in. She knew that He could set her free and cleanse her. 
And she was willing to come into the house of the person who represented being judgmental. This guy is the one we look at and say, he's a hypocrite. The Pharisee was the hypocrite. Because when he saw her come in, he had no compassion for her. He had no grace for her, no love for her. He detested everything about her. Let me just ask you, who's mounting up the most sins here? The hooker or the Pharisee? In his arrogance, in his pride. Proverbs chapter 6 says that there are six things that God hates. The very first thing is a proud look. God hates it. All through the New Testament, you never, ever see Jesus rebuke a sinner. But constantly throughout the Bible, he rebukes the hypocrite, the Pharisee. So what he's saying to him is not that she has more sin than you and I've forgiven them, therefore she loves me more. He is saying to him, your sins remain unforgiven, Simon. You've been forgiven little, therefore you love little. But if you would come clean and you would confess your sins, I would forgive your many, many sins, therefore you would love more, is what's being said. Because we look at that sometimes and think, well, I'm not so bad. I've been in church all my life. I've served the Lord. I wasn't like Iris. I didn't go the wrong way. I never crossed the line. Bless God. Hallelujah. Man, I had a 12-year perfect attendance pen in Sunday school, didn't I, Mama? Church, I grew up in it. Give you a little pen for your first year, a little, little like a shield. And it had a little hooks on the bottom of you shaking your head. You remember that, don't you? And every year you'd get a one-year, two-year appendix pen, three-year, four-year, five-year, six-year. I had seven years. I don't know what happened to the eighth year. Something. I mean, we'd go on vacation, brother. We were in Sunday school on Sunday morning in the church, you know. We'd go to my grandmother's. We'd go to that dead church. My Lord have mercy. That thing was dry dead as last year's bird nest. But we were in Sunday school, bless God. They talked about the Little League baseball game all morning. But I don't know if they ever did teach a lesson about Jesus, but... Not that I can recall. Anyway, but I got my perfect attendance pen. See, I could have very easily been like that Pharisee. When some nasty tramp come in the church, I could have been like, oh, man, what is she doing in here? Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about in here. Because when she came in, the Bible says she took her hair and washed his feet. A Jewish woman would never unbind her hair for anyone but her husband. So when she took her hair down, it was a symbol of, I'm available. Come take me. So it was a disgrace for her to do that. But what she was saying is, I have let my hair down for men that were not worthy. And finally, there's one in the house who is worthy that I'm willing to enter a covenant with. Because it's like a marriage. You give yourself to him, not sexually, spiritually. And he gives himself to you. She took her alabaster box, which every Jewish girl would have. They would take every penny they could get their hands on and buy this very special ointment, this fragrance. It was a bottle of dreams. They had this because it was used on their wedding night. They would break it for the man of their dreams, the man they're going to spend their life with, to fragrance their bed and fragrance her hair. This represented her dreams. We all, when we're born, have dreams. 
Ask any child, what are you going to be when you grow up? They have a dream. And somehow it fades. And what she is saying is, I'm trading my dreams for another dream. Your will for my life is more important than any dream that I have. Folks, I didn't dream of being a preacher. That wasn't my dream. In fact, I watched what my dad went through and said, I would never do this. But God had a different plan. I traded my dream for His dream. I dreamed of being a game warden, if you want to know. I was going to be a game warden. I don't know why I wanted to be a game warden. I saw one one time and I liked his uniform or something. I don't know. Be a game warden. You know, I could be out in the woods, you know. I like that part. But I traded that dream. And sometimes I think we need to just, we need to come clean. When she let down her hair, she's saying, I'm a whore and here I am. I know you don't like me. I know you detest me, but I don't care. I've got to get to Jesus somehow, some way. He's the only one that can help me. So I don't care who sees me. I don't care who knows what I am. And folks, there's so many people walking around and they've got all these little dark places in their heart. They never, ever let anyone see. And they're like the whore that's bound up in her her trade. Mm. Folks, Satan loves darkness. If he can keep you there, he can keep you bound. But the most liberating thing you will ever do is to let your hair down. To come clean. This is who I am. I admire Joyce Myers. Because she stands and talks about, I was molested as a girl. I'm like, wow, that had to be liberating to say that. Because Satan can't say, oh, you better not tell anybody. They'll, they'll think this of you and they'll think that of you. And let's keep it a secret. And she's hidden darkness and bound. Now, I'm not talking about go spill your guts to everybody. Some people don't need to know your details about you. But the Bible says, confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. He hates it when you turn the light on. Because now he's got nothing to use against you again. She let her hair down. She gave her dreams over to him. She humbled herself at his feet. He cleansed her. Tell you about a third person. This guy's name is Dwayne Blue. Dwayne didn't grow up in church. In fact, he had a single mother. She didn't care anything about him. She would lived a life of promiscuity herself. So he grew up pretty much raised himself. He hated his mother. He hated everything in life. He was verbally and physically abusive to her. When he was just a young boy, he went out on his own. He moved into a garage across the road from where his single mom lived. Every time he got a chance, he'd break into her house and steal whatever he could find and sell to get drugs. He was a drug addict. And uh, he broke into her house one day, was going to steal from her, and walked in the bathroom, and his mother was laying on the floor dead. She'd committed suicide. She couldn't take it anymore. Dwayne closed the door, went in the kitchen, got him a uh, loaf of bread and some peanut butter and jelly out and made himself a sandwich. Stole some stuff and then left the house. He didn't attend her funeral. He didn't care. He just did not care. Well, he went to work on a construction job. And he went to work with Iris's brother. And Iris's brother invited him home for Christmas. He hadn't been at a table with a meal set on it with a family environment for 12 years. He's about 22 years old at this point, I think. And so... He goes home with him thinking, I'm going to, he had drugs on him. He said, I'm going to get high and I'm going to try to steal everything I can while I'm there. 
But when he got there, he met Iris, and she began to strike up a conversation with him and started telling them about Jesus. And this rough, just low life thief, drug addict, drunk, crook, lying, cheat became interested in what she was taught. He had never heard anything about God. He didn't know anything about God, about church. Folks, I know people like that. If they came in here today, they wouldn't even know how to act. They wouldn't know what to say. They look around at all of you and they think, they don't want to get near yourself because they don't like you. They're scared of you. You know, there's people literally think the roof's going to fall if they walk in this place. Because they don't feel like they're welcome here. In some churches, they're not. When we started the church here, I said, I want people welcome here that's not even welcome in the foyer of other churches. That's why we call it CVAG, the perfect place for those who aren't. No perfect people in here. Right? Right? Know how to have a perfect church, though. Amen. Everybody leave. <laughs> all right. I'll vacuum the carpet real good, clean it all up, and get it all nice and squeaky clean, and then I'll leave. And it'll be perfect. Perfectly clean. Perfectly empty. But we don't have a perfect church. And so when people come in here, they don't know that. They think there's a lot of perfect people in there, and they know they're not perfect. And he, Dwayne was one of those guys, you know. And so... She began to, to witness to him and tell him about Jesus. And one day he decided, I think I want, I, want to, I want this Jesus you're telling me about. And so he knelt down and prayed with Iris. He went straight from that prayer, quit his construction job, stopped at the first church he found, walked in and told the pastor, said, I'm, I, I just got saved and I want to work for the church. And bugged that pastor for two weeks, followed him around everywhere he went. The pastor didn't know what to do with him. And so Vacation Bible School was coming up. He said, all right, Vacation Bible School is coming up. I want you to come and help us with Vacation Bible School. He said, all right. So he showed up on his Harley with his duffel bag packed for the vacation. (laughs) He didn't know where they was going on vacation, but he was going with them and he was going to help them. (laughs) And so he got off of his bike and found out they had Vacation Bible School right there at the church. And so they he come in, this great big old burly biker dude, you know, and he didn't know how to talk in church. I mean, he still had some words that probably would offend some of you, yeah. you know, and it, it, it's some just just concepts in life because it's all he knew. I remember on a construction job, Bones, this guy got saved. His, his name was Bones, and I mean, that was one mean man. Carried a knife in both pockets. And I mean, he could reach his pocket and come out with them open, brother. And he, he, he'd had them open more than one time and used them. Guy, he got in a fight in a bar one night, and he reached in his pocket, and the guy grabbed his hand and said, What you going to do now? And he said, Click. Put that other knife up to his throat, and I'm going to cut your throat. He was bad news. Now. And when he got saved, he said he went to his mother's funeral. I'm off track here, but I've got to finish this. He said he went to his mother's funeral, and there was a white cross on that funeral. He'd never been to church in his life. Drank liquor like it was water. And he said that white cross was there, and it just for some reason he saw that white cross. He'd heard about Jesus a little bit, you know. He didn't know anything about him much, but he knew Jesus was a good thing. God was real and all that. But he's just a mean man. And said that night after his mother's funeral, he said he had a dream. And that white cross lifted up. And he said it came up right in front of him and said it turned just like a sword. And it was just jabbing in his face like that. And it scared him to death. Now, I don't know why God does what he does, but 
hey, if it works, brother, I, praise God. And Bones got saved. And I'd go to work, and that guy had a gutter mouth on him because he just didn't know. It wasn't that he wasn't saved, folks. And we get sometimes, we as Christians can be like the Pharisee. I mean, you've got to give people some grace here, you know. And understand that they, they, you don't grow from a person like Iris to a, to a whore overnight. And you don't turn from a whore to a saint overnight either. It's a process. And so I, me and some other Christians on the job there was kind of helping Bones sort of get from here to there, you know. And that's the way Dwayne was, you know. And so he shows up at VBS and, and they sent him in to help these two ladies with a room full of four-year-olds. And he said he'd never been around a kid in his life. And he said all he knew was they were little and if he broke one, everybody in there was going to get mad at him. <laughs> and he said they were running around the room. He's just kind of standing over to the side. And one of the teachers says, I forgot something in my car. I'll be right back. Just help sister so-and-so and she out the door. And he's standing there a few minutes. Sister so-and-so says, i got to run to the office and get some material. Said, watch the kids. I'll be right back. And she goes out the door. And he's in there. And they start tearing the room apart. And they called him Brother Blue. And so he's looking at him. He's like, her children. I have come here from planet some or other, you know, to tell you you need to sit down. Said all of them looked at him. Their eyes got real big. And they all sit down. And said, so when the teacher came back in, he had them all sitting down, coloring in their colored books and not making a sound. And they were scared to death because they'd never read a, met a real alien before. Said so one of them come up to him and said, Brother Blue took him by his fingers, he said. Just captured his heart. Said, Brother Blue, will you come home with me? Said, my mom and daddy's never met a real alien before. <laughs> but he said one day, he got up to go to church. And his Harley wouldn't start. It broke down. It was something pretty severe. The next Sunday, he still didn't have it fixed. And it was like three or four Sundays. He wanted to go, but he, he couldn't get there. And he said, you know, nobody from that church come to see me, ask about me, check on me. It was almost as if he really didn't care. And he said about the third week... One of the girls I used to run with at the bar cooked a bowl of soup and came by my house and said, Blue, I ain't seen you in a while. How have you been? He said, folks, it's a sad thing when the world acts more like Jesus than the church. It's a sad thing. Got a printout here. That's just to make sure we don't do that. I was showing it to my new members. I didn't bring it in here this morning just for that. Gail handed it to me when I come through the door. If you show up on church on Sunday morning, you got a little dot by your name. All right? Joel and Hunter and I go over this every Wednesday night. If you're not here and I miss you a couple of Sundays, we, we find out you're not here because I care whether you're here or not. And folks, you need to be looking around and seeing if somebody's not here, we need to be, the Bible says to love one another. Yeah. Bear ye one another's burdens. Yeah. You know, we want to be the church. Yeah. And so that just ingrained some things in him that he wanted to be more like Jesus than the other people in the church that wasn't being like Jesus. And he wasn't judging them or being harsh on them. He's just, he, he wanted to be real, a real person for Jesus. He'd been a real person for the devil. How many of you ever served the devil, did everything he told you to do? Come on. Huh? Raise your hand. Come on. Fess up. Served the devil, did everything he told you to do. 
All right? Now it's our turn to serve Jesus and be just as obedient to Him as we was to Satan. Amen? Well, then Brother Blue and Sister Iris, they tied the knot. And now they spend their life going around and sharing their testimony. He st- I don't know if he learned to read or not. He couldn't read, couldn't write. He just knew that Jesus changed his life and he went on ministering. Yeah. Mary, that we talked about, she became Jesus' most faithful follower. Mary and Martha. Faithful servants of Jesus Christ. So I say all that to this morning to, to ask you, wh- which one of these characters? Because this represents humanity. You got the guy that knows nothing about God. You got religious people who may have gone to an altar because somebody scared the bejeebies out of them, but nothing changed in their heart. They're just religious. You got the Pharisee who he's got everything that the rest of them didn't have. He's got the nice clothes, he's got wealth, he's got prestige, he's known in the community, he's honored. But you know, when he left his house that day, he was more bound than the whore that came in. She came in a whore and left a lady. He came in a bound sinner and left a bound sinner. Which one would we relate to this morning? Where is your heart this morning? Why don't you stand to your feet and we'll get the worship team up here. I think you can buy the book, and I'm not here to promote uh, Dwayne and Iris Blue. I just, in fact, I heard that testimony years ago. I think, Mom, you you brought me a tape of their testimony from somewhere. Was it Carpenter's Home Church? No, it was a church somewhere that that uh, you and Dad had attended. And she brought me that testimony. I always remembered Brother Blue talking to those little boys <laughs> like an alien. For some reason, that stuck out into my mind. And, uh. I wanted to go back and listen because I was just curious as I was preparing the sermon. I wonder what his dreams were. What were your dreams? You know? And whatever they are or whatever they were, are they something you would be willing to trade for Jesus' will in your life? And that's really the question I think I want to leave with you today. God's got a plan for your life. I didn't know what His plan was for my life, but I think I'm walking in the center of it. I really do believe that. It took me a long time to get there. It's funny. It's interesting how people's Lives take all different kind of paths to get to where you are now. You know, you know, you meet people and they're, I don't know, they work in a factory or they work in construction or they work in accounting or something. And you wonder, when you were a little boy, was that, or a little girl, was that kind of what you really thought you were going to do and be and what you dreamed of? 
I don't think so. How many of you are living the dream that you had when you were a child right now? A couple of you? Yeah? Maybe two hands in the whole congregation. And so we kind of get to somewhere that wasn't a part of our dream, you know, and wonder how we got there. I wound up there one day and I'm, I'm welding on something. I built something and I was so proud of what I'd just done. I looked at it, man, it looked good. And I said to myself, that'll be here when I'm dead and gone. And God spoke to my heart and says, it will melt with fervent heat. And suddenly the temporal reality of everything around me just come crashing in on me. How temporal life is and how temporal the things that we do are. When we stand before God, the only thing that's going to last is the things that we did for Jesus. So whatever our life is, whatever our dreams are, I think God gave me this message to say to you and to say to myself, all of those things, those dreams, those activities, our life needs to be laid to the side that we may do the will of the Father. Because that's what really counts. And so... I don't know if this applies to anybody here. I don't know where you're at or what you've gone through in life. If there's some things in your heart that you're carrying around. Like Mary who had this lifestyle and she kept it all bound up and she just let it go and let God have it. Let me just encourage you. You don't have to come up here and blab your, just spill your guts about anything. I'm not asking you to do that. But at some point, I can't tell you how how liberating and cleansing it is to bring to the light those things in secrecy and darkness. Find a setting and say those things to another person. Anybody ever done that? Jeannie and I did that. We went to a, a lady that she's in, she does inner healing ministry and I was checking it out to see if it was for real. And I didn't know she was going to take me through the thing, you know. And so I go in there and she's like, I mean, she's, it, was, it wasn't psychology, it was ministry. She started in my childhood. She's like, tell me about your childhood. And the next thing I know, I'm talking to this strange woman. And I was blowing my guts out. I did this. Man, I was just pouring it all out. And there was nothing ever in my life so cleansing and healing as that was. I said things to that woman that no human being on earth knows about me. And it was almost like ashes in the wind. Satan couldn't use that against me ever again. And when I see people that have gone through that kind of thing and they come clean, it's like, oh yeah, I had this problem. I was molested as a child or I, you know, or I was introduced to porno when I was a child or whatever your story is. And I see them come clean with that. What they don't realize is the people they're talking to have the same issues, but they don't tell anybody. And one of them is still bound up in all that, and the other one is free. And they think, well, I can't say that because somebody will look at me and think that. No, they're going to look at you and think, he's talking about me. You're talking about me. I'm the one that went into an office and aborted my child, and nobody knows about it. You know, I'm the one that went behind closed doors and did this and nobody knows about it. And you're trapped in this little prison in your own heart. And Satan keeps you in that darkness. You need to come clean about that. So she had to confess all to the Lord. She gave it all to the Lord. Then he says, your sins are forgiven you. 
go in peace. Peace that came through that. Took her alabaster box and broke it. This is my dream. But I give up my dream for you, Lord. Because I want you more than I want to take this fragrance and give it even to my husband to scent my wedding bed. I want you more than anything. Do you hear what the Lord's saying? How much do we want God? Father God, we come before your throne in Jesus' name. Lord, I've given the word that I feel that you placed on my heart. Now, Lord, I just ask that you take it. God, you let it grow like a seed planted in fertile ground. Lord, you said the word went forth. Some of it fell by the wayside. Some of it fell on stony ground. Some of it fell in thorny ground. But God, you said some of it fell on good ground. God, I pray this morning that the seed is found good ground, that it will grow God, I pray just like Iris, Lord, the word that went into her as a child did not return void, but it accomplished what pleased you. It prospered because you sent it to her. God, I believe today you sent this word to someone here, maybe many people here, for a reason. And God, whoever that is, may they not just disregard your word, God. May it not fall by the wayside, nor on thorny ground or stony ground, but God, may it fall on fertile ground, increase and grow. Jesus' name.